Good morning. How's everybody doing today? I know what you're thinking. Everybody right now is thinking, wait a minute. I thought we upgraded preachers to that Leo guy. Where, where's he at? Uh, but he, he will be back. Uh, he'll be back. Did you guys enjoy Leo? I thought he's, he's super fun. So uh, we'll, make sure to, we'll make sure to have him back. He's probably on the live stream. Welcome everyone to the live stream. Leo, if you're there, uh, thanks for coming, man. So hey, today we start a, a new series. I'm really excited to introduce it, but I want to give a little bit of background for you first. So where we have been. Back in December, what did we study? Now December, something happens in December. Yeah, like Jesus' birth, right? That's it's an Advent series, and we were looking at the birth of Jesus, and particularly uh, Christmas Eve, and then, and then we basically said at, at Christmas Eve, okay, so after the birth of Jesus, then what happens? We told you, we don't, we don't want you to just uh, only know about the birth of Jesus, we also want you to know about the life and the teaching of Jesus, and so we did a series together, 14, 15 weeks uh, on the kingdom of God, which is the centerpiece of Jesus' life and message, centerpiece of his teaching. And so we studied the kingdom of God. And mostly what we did is spent time in the gospels, mostly the gospel of Matthew, studying the life and the teaching of Jesus. And then we just recently had a big holiday. What was it? Easter. And what we studied Easter? The resurrection, right? Okay, we said the resurrection of Jesus. And then we asked the question, then what happened? All right, we're going to do, then what happened? And we're just going to kind of name it. That's the name of this series. Then what happened? What happened after Easter? So today it'll be the last command of Jesus in that gospel of Matthew. We spent so much time in the tale of two kingdoms. Uh, and then after that, we're going to pivot to the book of Acts, which is the birth of the church and the early mission. We'll just spend about six weeks in the first six, seven chapters of Acts, kind of the, the early birth of the church and just kind of what happened that propelled it from Jesus and his small group of disciples to this global movement that we are a part of today. So as part of this pivot, I thought of, uh, for some reason, I have this stuck in my head, this uh, this movie scene that I think just kind of makes a great analogy. And so, so last night, Scott, would you come on up? Uh, Scott Boyd, let's welcome Scott Boyd. He doesn't know, all right, you come on over here. Okay, okay, so last night I texted Scott, I said, hey man, have you seen the original Karate Kid? And what'd you say? I said, which one? I know, I was amazed. I didn't even know there was multiple versions. I was like, the original, he's like, oh, I've seen it a hundred times, like, Perfect. Can you sit in the front row tomorrow? Right? Now, that's all you know so far. That's all I know. Okay. I promise I won't hurt you guys. Yeah, thank you. Now, first off, safety first. Do you have any formal martial arts training? Uh, no. Okay, good. Good, good, good. Okay. That's for my safety. Okay. Okay, so instead of showing you a clip from Karate Kid, which I can't do because then our friends on the live stream will get cut off like what happened at Christmas. Uh, and so we're going to do a reenactment of a scene from Karate Kid. All right? <laughs> I promise I won't hurt you. Yeah, good. Fantastic. And I will try not to hurt you. Okay. So, um, Do I need both hands for this? Well, I think just hold the mic and, and it'll, it'll probably work. Okay. 
All right, so there's this great scene where, well, not, well, first there's a terrible scene in which, so you're gonna play the role of Daniel, Daniel's son, okay? And I'm gonna be Mr. Miyagi, okay? Okay, okay. and uh, just use- You're a little too tall to All play right, Mr. Miyagi. Use, use some imagination here. Okay, so I'm Mr. Miyagi, and you just got, uh, you just got, crud kicked out of you by all the, all the Cobra Kai guys. Oh, yeah. Okay? Uh, they beat you up, and uh, I think it's particularly that field scene. I mean, you got beat up a lot of times, but this one particular time, you get beat up. It's kind of my fault, though. Yeah, Mr. Miyagi saves you, yeah. okay, but then you show up, and, and uh, you're like, uh, hey, man, could you teach me karate? Oh, go ahead, you know, say your line. Can you teach me karate? Yeah, okay, all right, all right. <laughs> so, so I want you to come, uh, come over to my house early in the morning, like 6 a.m., and, you, and the, you show up, and you're, like, ready to learn karate to be able to fight the Cobra Kai mean people. Right. Okay? Okay. And I say, okay, first I want you to uh, sand the floor. There's this huge deck, and I want you to sand the floor. So uh, I give you some sandpaper and some sand, you know, things, and you're going to, and I, I, mean, we, I teach you the motion. Okay. I want you to sand the floor. Okay. okay. Like this. And then the other side, no, sand the floor is like this. Okay. Sand the floor is like this. Okay. Big motion. No, no, big motion. Big motion. Okay. And, uh, you, and, then, and then you say, whole floor. Okay. And so you work all day. That's right. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Stand the floor. Okay. Now I'm going to go. Very good. He's doing great. Okay. Now I'm sipping lemonade or something. Okay. I come back. Okay. You're tired. Exactly. That's exactly. You I have seen it. I told you I've seen this movie It's his lot. right shoulder that's always sore. That's right. Okay. Next day you're ready to learn karate. And I say, okay, see all these uh, fancy cars? I want you to um, uh, wax them all for me, okay? So I want you to, okay, wax on, wax off. You guys all remember that scene? Okay, let's see, wax on, okay, go ahead. Wax on, wax off, I'm gonna go around, okay. So he's all day, he's wax on, wax off, okay. Next day he shows up, okay, I want you to uh, paint the fence, okay? Okay, long, okay, paint the fence, right hand big board, left hand small board, okay, okay. Okay, I leave for the day. He, all day he's doing this, okay? The last day of this, uh, he's getting frustrated. I'm like, okay, I want you to paint the house. So go ahead, paint the house. Yeah, but I've got to read the letter because you sent it to me in a letter. And oh, you're really? Fishing. Okay, yeah. I, you've, all right. Dude, this guy. You've man. seen the movie more than me. No, no, yeah, yeah, that's right. No, no, we, we need to side, 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 side. Okay, paint that. Okay. So I come back from fishing, and all day long he's been doing this. Okay. He's so mad at the end of this. He's like, you gotta be kidding me. And you say something to the effect of what? I'm just doing your work. I'm just, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something like that, I don't know, right? word for word. Yeah, Sorry. so he's mad. He's mad about this. And he's gonna, he's gonna storm off because he's so mad. Like, I wanted to learn karate and all you've been having me do is all this stuff. So he walks away and I say, Danielson, come here. Okay? And then, and then uh, show me sand the floor. Okay. Show me wax on, wax off. I think you switched them. That's okay. Okay. Show me paint the fence. Paint the house. Okay. And then this is the big moment where he starts going, now you got, I hope you've seen this movie. Okay. Or else this is going to go badly. He starts going, hi-ya. Come on. Hi-ya. 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 Yeah, 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 yeah. Right? And it's amazing. Look at that. Yay. Yay. I surrender. Yeah. All right, let's give him a round. Go ahead, you can have a seat. Fantastic. Wow. That went so much better than I was even hoping. Okay. <laughs> Scott, fantastic. So he's like suddenly like, it just, it clicks and he's like, wow, like, 
I know karate, right? The master was actually teaching me something this whole time. I actually have gotten these skills. Man, you did super good, man. I'm gonna sign you up. So, um, and then all of a sudden, like all this stuff clicks together and all this work, all of a sudden it, it kind of it makes sense and now it has a purpose, okay? All right, what does this have to do with Jesus? Here's the thing. The gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus calls disciples. Now, they weren't disciples before he called them. They're fishermen, they're tax collectors, they're regular people. And he says, come and follow me. In some, one instance, he says, come follow me and I will make you fishers of people. And they come into relationship with him and they do a lot of things they don't understand. They, they spend kind of the night, some nights outdoors in prayer. They listen to him tell these confusing parable stories. They, they watch him pick fights with some of the religious leaders and being this kind of debates uh, about some fine points of the law. They, they listen to him teach. They, they watch as he responds to, to people. They're, they're confused sometimes when they're on a mission and Jesus kind of goes off and allows himself to be interrupted by other people. They're confused by Jesus kind of breaking certain customs and, and, uh, and touching lepers and, and talking with people that are foreigners or interacting with the woman at the well or, or letting kids come up to him. There's all these different interactions. They're just watching. They're, they're confused by what, what is the purpose of what are we doing here. And all along the way, it was training. It was training. Throughout the gospel stories of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there's training, there's training, there's training. This is the wax on. This is the wax off. They are building their muscles. They're building their movement. They're building their skill. They're growing in knowledge and wisdom. And then we come to this moment after the resurrection. And Jesus is going to give us the scripture we're about to read. We have in the Great Commission, and it marks the pivot moment. It's like that Mr. Miyagi moment, this suddenly moment where they realize now it's no longer practice time. Now it's game time. Jesus is going to be leaving us in the way that he's been with us before, though he promises this presence with us. But he's going to not be with us in the same way. And we're going to be out there on our own. And now it's time to put into practice all of the things we've been learning, all the, all the skills, all the training. Now it's game time. And we're going to figure out today what is the transition to game time. I invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's word. Uh, this is the very end of the first book of the New Testament famously called the Great Commission. Matthew 28, verse 16. Then the 11 disciples, there's just 11, because Judas, unfortunately, uh, is no more. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And then Jesus came to them and said, all authority on heaven, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit 
and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Lord, we just pray that you'd open this passage. We pray, we, many of us have heard it before, oh God, but we pray you would open it to us in new ways. Lord, we just pray that you would fill us with hope and grace as we study this, that we could be inspired to just, to just live into it in your name. Amen. Please be seated. So this is a really important uh, scripture uh, for our church because, first of all, uh, we would not exist if it wasn't for this scripture, right? If it wasn't for the mission that Jesus sent his disciples on, the gospel would not have spread and the churches would not have been built throughout the world. It would not have come across the ocean all the way to the ends of the earth in the Bay Area, right? This church would never have existed if it wasn't for that. Also, our church, our mission, we say that we are disciple makers reaching out to the entire community for Christ. We are disciple makers. This is part of our stated identity and mission as a church. So I wanna study it with you today and see what we can learn and, uh, but, but, I, but I think a lot of times when we read this scripture, um, some of us feel a sense of guilt for our non-participation. <laughs> you know, we say, oh, I, sh- I really should be making disciples, but I'm not, and so I feel bad. And I don't want us to be there. I want to see if can we look at it and can we understand it full of the hope and grace that surrounds it? And might it bring us to a place of being inspired to, to live into that mission? And so... I want to just, uh, first of all, show with you a little bit about the structure uh, of this scripture. So first of all, this, we, we think of the Great Commission usually as this middle portion. There's this command of something that we're going to go and we're going to go do, right? And that is this command, make I was super stressed I was going to run out of room. (laughs) Curve it down. Okay, so there's this command that we're going to make disciples. But I want to show you that the scriptures actually, it's in between two promises of Jesus, which are the things that help us actually feel uh, that we can actually do this. Okay, so the first one, there's a promise on either side. The first one is this, it's the promise of power. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I have the power. Jesus, in his resurrection state, full of the power of God, the son of God himself, is saying, I have all the power in the universe. You no longer have to fear the things you feared before. I've just overcome death itself. I have the power. Then he gives the command of making disciples, which we're going to study in just a second. But then after the command comes another promise, and this is the promise of presence. He says, 
and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Okay, so a friend of mine in, we're gonna come back to this in just a second, but I wanna give you an analogy. Uh, A friend of mine, when I lived in Jacksonville, his name was George, and he invited me to uh, go for a ride in his plane with him. He's gonna fly me around Jacksonville, Florida, give me kind of the aerial view of where I had been living for those two years. And I drove early in the morning to his little hangar, and he showed me his plane, and that's the moment where I started to feel afraid. Because I've you know, done a lot of flying in the big jets, a lot of things about those that signal confidence, but this thing was a very, very small plane, maybe about the size of my car, Okay, this is tiny, but, but small, much smaller seating than my car. Like, like two guys had to cram in, just even cram in, I like barely can get my head and barely shut the door. This is this tiny, tiny little cockpit. And it's, a, it's an old looking plane. And he says, oh yeah, I've repaired it rivet by rivet. <laughs> and I'm thinking, well, I mean, it's good that it's repaired, but how did you know the, ribbon, the rivet was coming loose and was that while you were in the air? I mean, a lot of questions are coming to my mind and... And it occurs to me that um, I don't know how to fly. I don't know how to do any of this. And, and in my own strength and my own ability, I cannot fly this plane. And I certainly cannot land it. And I don't even know what the joystick thing is called, okay? I just know the video game name of the joystick, right? I, I'm not even, I'm sort of marginally aware of what a rivet is. Uh, I, I cannot, I can't. I can't do this. Also, uh, I'm I'm kind of afraid of heights, okay? So uh, I feel a little bit afraid of getting in this plane. But I did get in the plane, and I had a great experience, and he flew me all around uh, Jacksonville. It was a great experience. But why did I get in the plane? Why did I get into the plane when it was a scary thing for me? Okay, number one, because I believe George knows what he's doing. I knew some things about George, I happen to know that George was a professor of aeronautical navigation and tactics for the United States Navy, right? He trains, he teaches advanced courses for U.S. Navy pilots. He's also a professor for a missionary aviation school, teaching uh, missionaries how to go into the land in jungles and stuff. So he knows what he's doing, right? That's the first reason I got in the plane. What's the second reason? Because George got in the plane first, all right? I made sure I waited. I'm not getting in this thing. He got in. He's like, okay, like, time to get in. Like, now? Now? Okay, yeah. I got in. So George knows what he's doing. George has the power. And secondly, George is in the plane, okay? That is the same thing that's happening with the promises of Jesus. Jesus gives two promises, his power and his presence. He says, guys, I can do this. I can do this. This thing, this mission to go reach the world and make disciples and and fill the earth with that. I can do this. And then secondly, I'm going to be with you. Every step, there's not going to be a single moment in which you are seeking to follow this command in which you are alone. I will never, ever desert you. I'm going to be with you always at the end of the age. So I've got the power 
and I'm gonna give you my presence and I'm gonna be the one flying the plane. You just have to have the guts to get in and go for the ride, amen? All right, so here's the, so what is the mission? What is the mission of making disciples? Verse 19, here's the mission that's sandwiched by that promise. Therefore, go and make disciples. It's a key command. We wouldn't have known any of this had ever happened if this had not been followed over and over and over and over again for generations and generations and two millennium until it reached our ears. Something interesting about this command, uh, this last command of Jesus, is it actually mirrors the very first command of God to humanity. Do you know what the very first command of God to humanity is? Back in what book? Yeah, pretty good, okay. Back in Genesis 1.28, he's made his creation, he's made Adam and Eve, and then he finally gives them the very first, very first command that he gives them is, it says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and increase in number. This might be the command of God that humanity has had the least trouble fulfilling. <laughs> okay? We did it! We did it! We filled the earth with people. There's billions of people. Give yourself a, a round of applause. Good job. You did something. We did it. Be fruitful and multiply, right? And here we have it again as the last command of Jesus, which is like, all right, now be fruitful and multiply. Make this, I fill the earth with disciples. And we learn that a key part of being a disciple is making disciples. Now, what does that look like? I think one reason we have such trouble with this command is because we're picturing things that we're repulsed by. We're picturing the people standing on street corners holding the sign saying, turn to Jesus or burn in hell, right? How many people want to sign up for that ministry? Really? I don't think so. I don't think you do. With the bullhorns and all, oh my goodness, right? None of us want to be doing that. But is that what Jesus did? Well, no, right? Think about what did Jesus do? How did Jesus make disciples? Well, he invited them into this intentional relationship. He, he loved them and cared for them. He washed their feet. He read scripture with them and prayed with them and answered questions and asked them questions. And over the course of time, they began to learn his ways and his values and his truths. They became, uh, they were discipled by Jesus. And now they're taught that, hey, this thing that I've done for you, would you, would you do that for other, for other people? And then there's this nuance that is offered that's, that's, that's fascinating. It says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Of all nations. This is a, the, the Greek word is the ethne. We translate sometimes nations. Sometimes we translate it Gentiles. Sometimes people groups. This is all the peoples of the earth. Jesus is saying, I want all kinds of people in my family. I want every color and every culture and every language 
in my family. And just a few weeks ago, near the end of the kingdom series, we looked at the future vision of the kingdom, at the end of Revelation. And it's, in fact, a kingdom of people of all, every tribe, tongue, language, and nation. We see it built into the mission. Hey, go and make that happen. Go and make that happen. I want every kind of person in my family. The more that we, friends, grow in diversity, the more we look like the kingdom. And he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, baptizing them, bringing them into this life-saving, life-transforming relationship with God. This, this symbol of, of dying to oneself and coming alive in Christ, the, this, this symbol of this new birth. And so we have been baptizing people for 2,000 years. And then verse 20, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. This is everything that we have learned, that Jesus has instructed us, everything that we've been studying about the kingdom of God. Everything that we study about how to pray and how to incorporate God into our lives, everything we, we study about salvation by grace through faith, everything that, 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 that we learn about the ethics of the kingdom, all of this that Jesus builds into us, we're asked to build into other people. So this command, make disciples, make sure they're of all nations, include everybody, baptize them and teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And of course, I'm going to be with you until the end of the age. Now, do you think the disciples at that moment suddenly were like, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. I signed up for the student thing. I didn't sign up for the teacher part. But actually, that was the tradition in Jesus' day that a disciple was a rabbi in training. They learn that they might be able to teach and to pass on. That is the end goal of every discipleship uh, at the time. And so they would have some expectation. I'm, I'm learning and I'm growing. I'm, I'm doing the wax on, the wax off, so that one day I can put these things into practice. Well, let's remember that Jesus will fly the plane if we'll only have the guts to climb in. So here's what I want to do. I want to actually um, lead you through a visualization exercise. I want to, I want to tap in to your imagination. And I know may, maybe some of you, that, that feels a little rusty. You haven't used it since you were in grade school. But hopefully all of us can, can tap into that imagination. I, I want you to just picture it with me. Each of you will be a little bit different for each person. I'd, I'd like to invite you to picture somebody in your mind and maybe ask God to bring someone to your mind and heart. Think about someone that does not currently identify as a disciple of Jesus. They, maybe they're totally not Christian, they're against, or maybe they just kind of, they've never quite caught the vision of what it means to follow Jesus. Someone who is not a follower of Jesus that you love, that you care about, that you like to spend time with, that you, you, know, you think, oh, that person's on my heart, they're in my life, I interact with them, uh, and, 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 and they don't know Jesus. Just, just picture somebody, it could be a, it could be one of your children, it could be a parent, a sibling, a spouse, it could be a neighbor, a coworker, a friend. Just, just picture one person, just lock it in your mind. 
You have the person? Okay, I hope, hope you can have somebody in your mind. Now, now, with that person, I want you to imagine this. Imagine the person later today, a few hours from now, they randomly call you and they say, hey, 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 I got a question for you. I'm just wondering, would you please teach me how to be a disciple of Jesus? Now, for some of you, that's laughable. You're like, they would never ask me. But just imagine, okay? Imagine that they ask you, would you be willing to teach me how to be a disciple of Jesus? If you heard them ask you, what would you feel? Somebody shout out. What would you feel if they asked you that? Joyous? Great. What else? What? Nervous. Okay, joyous, excited, but also nervous. Like, I don't know if I can, if I can do this. What else? Shocked. You might have a heart attack. Oh my gosh, this person asked me that. But you feel joyous, you'd feel nervous, shocked. But what would you do? What would you do? Would you say, sorry, I'm too nervous? <laughs> you know? Would you say, uh, you know, hold on while I take my heart medicine, I gotta overcome the shock? Would you say, sorry, you know, I'm too busy, there's a, there's a baseball game on? No, I think you'd probably be like, all right, what am I gonna do? So what would you do? If you wanted to say yes, what would you do? Would you suggest you read the Bible with them? Would you, what book would you start with? Would you start with maybe the Gospel of John or Luke or Matthew, one of the letters? What, what would you start with? Maybe you would start with a Christian book, some kind of practical introduction to the Christian life. Would you, would you could you think of what book you might use? Would you, when would you meet with them? Would you go for walks? Would you meet them once a week for coffee or lunch or after work? What activities might you invite them to? Would you invite them to church? Would you invite them to life group? I don't know. Might be different for each person, but let's like continue with the imagination exercise. Have this person that you care about and they ask you this question and you're nervous and joyful and you come up with a plan and, and then let's imagine that you meet with them regularly every week for one year. You just invest that time in them because they asked you and you want to honor that and you figure out something that you're going to do with them intentionally and regularly and you spend time, you have really deep conversations over coffee or, or lunch or on a walk and, and, and let's imagine that your, your loved one, your friend, your family member, that they fall in love with Jesus and they give their life to Jesus Christ. And they, they want to know everything they can about the kingdom of God. And they grow and they grow and they grow in their faith until they, they just come to such an on-fire faith that now they're the one dragging you to church. Wouldn't that be crazy? And that you're sitting next to them or standing next to them in worship and they're the ones praising God with a loud voice and a tear in their eye. Can you, can you imagine it? All right, then how do you feel? How do you feel? What's that? You feel happy. Proud. Proud. Fantastic. Yeah. Anybody else? Thankful. Wow. Feels good, right? It'd be amazing, right? You'd, you'd be looking back on the year and you'd be like, what a year. 
Oh my gosh, this amazing experience, this person I care about. We got all this deep connection and, 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 and then wow, they, they've shared with me and then they're now, they're now my brother or sister in Christ and we worship together and I'm telling you, you're feeling, worshiping in this room would feel, would feel like so electric and alive. That'd be amazing, okay. All right, all right, now let's come, let's come out of the imagination. Just kind of hold that feeling, hold that imagination for a minute and now let's ask, what stands in the way of this happening? What stands in the way of this happening? And I bet a lot of you are thinking, well, the main thing standing in the way, they haven't asked me this question, right? I would love for them to ask me this question, but they have not. And so that's one thing that stands in the way. And maybe you're thinking, Pastor, it would take a miracle for that particular friend to ask me to teach them what it means to be a disciple. Okay? Anybody thinking that? Okay, here's the question I want to ask you. Are you willing to pray for this miracle? Are you willing to commit yourself to actually just fervently pray, God, this thing would be great. Would you give me that chance? I'd love that. Would you pray for it? And then secondly, this second question, are you willing to take some of the initiative to make it happen? In my scenario of them calling you and asking you, it puts all of the burden and all the initiative on them, right? But would you be willing to take on some of that initiative yourself and find ways to convey to them that you might be someone they could ask this question of. So for example, would you be willing to invite them to church or invite them to your life group? Would you be willing to write them an encouraging card with a Bible verse on it that just signals that this is something that can take place in your conversations? Would you be willing to give them a Bible or some kind of Christian book that has meant something to you that you can open some doors for conversation? Would you be willing to share with them something about your own personal journey and how faith has helped shape your own story? Would you, would, you, would you say something like that that would take some initiative? I have a friend uh, in, in Jacksonville that, that started um, this book club. And he's like, you know, hey, men can do book clubs too, okay? And he starts this book club and he, and he just invites all, all his buddies at work. He's like, hey, I, I just want to read this book about leadership. It's called Lead Like Jesus. And, and, and you know, I think Jesus is a pretty good leader, so I thought it'd be great for us to, to study that. And maybe you guys would want to join me. It ended up being like this 14, 15 guys. We're all like, you know, majority of them not Christian, not go to church. And we would just meet every morning. I, I joined in there. And it was just this incredible experience to have them have their first encounters of, you know, who is Jesus? And it kind of spiraled into, well, hey, the next week, hey, well, can, I, can we learn more about this Jesus guy? And, and we started reading the Gospel of Mark together. And this kind of thing can happen, but it takes a little bit of initiative, just kind of opening that door. Would you be willing to pray? Would you be willing to just kind of take a little bit of initiative to see if something like this might happen? Okay. Now, now that I've suggested some kind of initiative on your part where you're not just purely the respondent to someone requesting, but you're initiating, now's the moment where I think for a lot of us, we start having fears. 
and some feelings of guilt and like, ah, oh, you know, and, and just nervousness and fear. So here's, I want to have a little conversation about that and care for you in your fears. So I'm going to flip the board around. Okay. All right. Can you guys see this? Maybe we can put it, can we, can, I don't know if we can put it on the screen. If you can't see it, I'll put it back a little bit. Okay. Okay, I think the first fear that we experience in any kind of initiative or any kind of risk, but particularly kind of sharing something personal to us like our faith, we have the fear of rejection. Anybody experienced that before? Anybody, can anybody feel like this is a sentence you've said in your life? I want people to like me. Raise your hand if you'd like people to like you. We, we do, okay? Some of you just don't like raising your hand. Um... I lost that marker. I'm gonna have to switch colors. Where did you guys, anybody see where I put the purple marker? Oh, there we go, okay. All right. So, in fact, I am gonna pivot to blue. Okay, so we have this. We all have this sense of we want people to like us and we fear that you know, if we kind of identify ourselves with something they don't currently like, they might like us less. But I'm telling you, we can live our whole lives out of fear of rejection, right? We, we, we never ask that girl to go to the dance with us in junior high, right? We never apply for that job. We never, we never write that book or whatever the thing is we dreamt of doing because we're so afraid of rejection, right? But the thing that usually gets us to overcome it is if we have some kind of desire in which uh, becomes more powerful. And so in this case, maybe I want people to love Jesus. Now, at the end of the day, I think all of us who love Jesus have to ask ourselves the question, which one of these do we feel more passionate about? (laughs) I want people to like me. I want people to love Jesus. Let's just sit with it for five seconds. All right. What's that? It's hard to see? Maybe I'll switch back to purple. Thank you. This says, I want people to love Jesus. The more we lean into Jesus and less on ourselves, that's when we start to become brave. All right, this next one is fear of failure. I'll mess up. (laughs) Anybody ever have that thought? I don't want to say something about Jesus because I'll make such a bad impression they'll be less Christian after I talk to them. Anybody ever had that thought? Guess what? I have that thought too. Okay, that's why I don't have a Jesus bumper sticker on my car, okay? Because I'm not a good driving evangelist. Okay? Fear of failure. Uh, we think I'll mess up. But the other side of this might be Or even Jesus, Jesus can use me. I'll mess up is when we're thinking about ourselves, but Jesus can fly the plane, right? Jesus can use me. We have feelings of inadequacy. I'm a great sinner, right? Who am I to share anything about what I've learned about Jesus? I'm such a sinner. 
actually, that's a great place to start. Because if any of you don't believe that you're sinners, please don't ever disciple anybody. Okay? Please don't. All right? You're, you'll, you'll be preaching a different gospel. Okay. I'm a great sinner, but maybe we think Jesus is a great savior. Jesus is a great savior. Jesus is so amazing, so powerful. He could use even somebody like you. And you know what? If you're in that kind of place where you're like, I'm such a great sinner, I'm so afraid, I want everyone to like me, but I love Jesus and I trust him and I so much want people to know him, you would be exactly in the position of the disciples when they were given the command. Because guess what? Some of you are thinking, but I have doubts. Jesus used Thomas, who doubted. And what was the verse right before the Great Commission? They worshiped him, but some doubted, right? And then uh, maybe you feel afraid, but guess what? Jesus used Peter and the other disciples who all ran away. And maybe you think, but I'm just a nobody. But Jesus used Bartholomew. And you're all thinking, wait, who's Bartholomew, right? <laughs> exactly. He's one of the disciples and no one's ever heard of him. He's one of the 12, just like us, right? Jesus uses people like us. And you think, but I, I don't know all the answers. But Todd Misfelt recently told me this week, he said, you know what's worse than talking to someone who doesn't have all the answers is talking to someone who does, right? That's a worse experience, okay? Now, there's lots of ways that we support the, the Great Commission. And some of us have all different kinds of gifting, right? We, we're in God, some of us say, hey, we, 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 we support the Great Commission in support roles, right? We go to kids' club. And there's some other people that are kind of working directly, teaching the kids, and we're setting up the games and cleaning up. That's great. That's, that's such a godly, godly thing. Hey, we, we, we show up and, and, and at church, and we, we were the ones who we, we stack chairs and unstack chairs. And that's, that's, so, that's so important, right? Some of us say, hey, we have the gift of giving. We give generously financially to the church and to missionaries overseas. And that is so, so, so important. But can you imagine someone that does have the gift of evangelism and discipleship, okay? And they show up at the, at the church potluck, okay? They didn't bring anything because they don't have the gift of cooking. And then we're all, setting up, we're all stacking the chairs and they don't, they don't help because they don't have the gift of service, right? It's time for the offering. They don't give a dime. We go, oh, I don't have the gift of, uh, of giving. I just do <laughs> the evangelism discipleship part. We'd be like, dude, stack a chair, <laughs> Okay? Give five bucks, okay? Like we can all contribute in some ways, even if it's outside of our gifting, right? So it's the same way with all of us. None of us have all of these gifts, but, but, but I hope, and I, I just long for each of us to have the profound joy at least once or twice in our lifetime of just walking someone through the things that we have come to love and cherish. Somebody in our life, we say, oh my goodness, it would be such a joy to get to walk with you and be the one that walks with you directly and just helps you understand the treasure that we have 
in Jesus. I hope this for you and I pray this for each and every one of you because it is a profoundly, incredibly joyous thing. And we're gonna do that for our children and for our grandchildren. We yearn for them. We can't control it, but we try. We learn this for our friends and our, our coworkers and our neighbors out of the pure joy of introducing them to the joy we have in Jesus. Can I pray for us? Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the grace of it, God, that you, you called a bunch, of, a bunch of nobodies, a bunch of sinners, a bunch of scared doubters like us. And you loved us and you trained us and you put us in the game knowing that we're gonna fumble and mess up, but you are powerful enough to overcome that. Lord, we just pray, oh God, we pray for the joy of being on mission with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, thanks for being here. Thanks for worshiping uh, with us today. Um, if you're new, if, if you're new here, we, have, uh, we would love to invite you to the Taste and See that. I'm gonna give a little tour of the campus uh, and we've got kind of strategic snacks put around the room and just kind of just share with you a little bit about our church and introduce you to some staff and things like that. So if you're new, come see me right over here. We also have a prayer team. Can you guys come up? We got Dave. You got some friends with you? Or is it just you, Dave? Oh, so, come on up, Cheryl. We're recruiting you. Cheryl's gonna be part of the prayer team as well. So Cheryl, Dave, uh, uh, we got to so say, if, if you would like prayer for any reason at all, they're right up here, and they're here. Uh, we have people from the prayer team after every service. Whether I remember to announce it or not, they're here, and they're just ready to pray for you. So uh, you, can, you can talk to them. So uh, thank you all for being here. Uh, now hear, hear this benediction, this, this blessing over you. The Lord Jesus Christ calls you, even you, and Jesus loves you, even you. He invites you into rich fellowship with him and to be a citizen of his kingdom, even you. And he can use you in the world, even, even you. May he be with you. May his arms surround you. May you know his smile and his love and his grace and his power and his presence now and forever. Amen.